Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah Heller, and if there's one thing I've learned after being a fitness and health professional and a chronic pain sufferer for over a decade, it's that every body is unique. On this show, I sit down with health and wellness experts in an effort to gather as many different perspectives, journeys, and philosophies as possible. Join me in cultivating a collective growth mindset and challenge yourself to take away just one key point from each episode that inspires you to think or behave differently. Have a pain-free day and enjoy this episode. Mariah here from Pain-Free Fitness, and I don't usually record solo intros to my podcasts, but I felt this one was an important one, Um, and this is such an incredible interview with Professor Laura Bloom, and I recognized as I was listening to it back that while we talk a lot about invisible illnesses, we talk about chronic pain, we spend a lot of time on Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome because that's, you know, just relevant to the conversation that you'll see, but we never define what Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is. And so I wanted to do that so that when you're listening to the episode, you can really just enjoy it and take away all of this incredible knowledge that Professor Lara Bloom has to offer. So Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, um, I'm going to give you the very surface kind of definition, and then I'll tell you kind of what my geneticist told me when I was officially diagnosed. But Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a collection. It's kind of an umbrella term for, for a collection of connective tissue disorders. And connective tissues are everywhere in the body. They are not only in the muscles and the skin, they are around the organs, they are in the ligaments, they are around the veins and the heart and the arteries. And so there are a bunch of different types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and they tend to affect people very differently, as you can imagine. It tends to be a systemic thing. Right. So the way that it was described to me when I was officially diagnosed is uh, my geneticist had had, you know, talked to me a little bit about, you know, what the condition is. And um, she asked me just how I was doing. And I said, you know, I think I've learned to develop a healthy relationship with pain. So I'm fine. (laughs) And she said, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to develop a healthy relationship with pain. And Part of the reason for that is there's a hypermobility component where we have generally very lax joints that tend to dislocate, sprain, strain, tear, subluxate, all of that stuff. Um, There's also kind of a chronic inflammation component as well as a, a really high resting muscle tension because our brains want us to be stable and we're not. Right. But people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, not only do we have chronic pain, we also very, very often have things like, um, you know, gastrointestinal uh, issues. So, you know, inflammation just generally kind of throughout the body. We tend to have issues with sleep. We tend to have issues with headaches, um, dysautonomia, right? So issues with our, our kind of autonomic nervous system that might cause us to feel dizzy or faint or, you know, a collection of other things. Um, issues with the heart are really common with people with, with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome of multiple different types, right? And there's no universal experience for this disorder. Um, however, you know, there are we, we do feel, I feel very united with other people that have it because most of the time it's difficult for others to see. 
And it's, there's also not really a lot known about it yet, as far as, you know, a lot of MDs that I've talked to don't even know what it is. So they see it on my medical record and they're just like, what's that? <laughs> um, and so I hope that that frames some of this conversation for you and that you're able to kind of listen to that through that lens of, you know, we are not just talking about Ehlers-Danlos, even though that's a, that's a, a large portion of the conversation, but we can relate to people that have chronic pain, that have invisible illnesses, that have maybe things that have gone ignored for really long periods of time. And they're just now kind of starting to come to light thanks to people like Professor Laura Bloom in this episode. So I hope you enjoy and I will talk to you soon. Have a pain-free day. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Pain-Free Fitness Podcast. I'm your host, Mariah. And if you've listened before, you know that it is my goal in life to create a collective growth mindset in the health, wellness, and fitness industries. And the way that I think is the kind of first step to doing that is just having a lot of conversations with people that uh, are experts in their field and know a lot about, you know, fitness and health and health adjacent type things. And my goal for everyone today is to just take away, even if it's just one key point, one new thing that you've learned, one thing that makes you a better person, more empathetic, a better trainer or coach, if that's what you're calling in for, uh, I would consider this a success if, if that is the outcome that, that comes from every episode. So with my guest today, I think that that is going to be a really easy thing to do because just looking over uh, Lara Bloom's uh, resume and her bio, it is, it's pretty rare that it's just, there's so much that I want to talk about, <laughs> but I'll give, I'll give her kind of a, a brief introduction here. So Lara Bloom, uh, Professor Lara Bloom, amongst many other things, is the president and CEO of the Ehlers-Danlos Society, and she is responsible for globally raising awareness of rare chronic and invisible diseases, specializing in Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, hypermobility spectrum disorders, and related disorders. And before joining the Ehlers-Danlos Society, Lara ran EDS UK uh, for about five years. And Lara regularly works with umbrella organizations, lobbying at the government level. Um, she uh, played a key role in the recent international effort to reclassify EDS and create management and care guidelines, which is huge. And um, I, there is just so much more to talk about here. Um, but Lara, I am so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's wonderful to, to virtually meet you. Yes, yes, it's great to meet you as well. And just to give the listeners a little bit of background, guys, I know this podcast just launched. So if you're listening, you might have listened to the very first episode where I gave some of my background. But if not, that is episode 001, the origin story. It's about 10 minutes long. But uh, I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, spoiler alert, if you have not listened to that. And, um, I, you know, started my chronic pain journey when I was 15 or 16 years old. And, you know, it took about 12 years to get a diagnosis. There were a lot of surgeries and things that, you know, the medical industry and all of my coaches were just kind of confused about really for a long time. And so that's actually what got me into the field of health and wellness. I wanted to help people not have as long of a learning curve as I had. And so that's just some background for the listeners there. Um, but 
Uh, Laura, just to kind of start off with some of your background, you clearly have such a strong mission, and I'm sure there's a reason for that. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what brought you to the place that you are now? Sure. First, it feels like a billion years ago, but I've actually been working in this space now for about 11 years. And um, I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's syndrome at the age of 24 in 2004. After, uh, like you, I think it was a 12 or 13 year diagnostic policy, which is the average is 10 to 12 years for people with these conditions. So we kind of sit snap bang in the average of people's experiences. And that odyssey came with a lot of pain and frustration and questions that remain unanswered for a very long period of time. And of course, with that, the kind of the, the trauma that comes from consistently not being believed, being told that you're a hypochondriac, being told it's all in your head, uh, where you really start to question your own sanity and your own physical experiences that you're going through. And it makes you feel very, very alone and obviously growing up as well, I, in parallel to that, was experiencing a lot of questions surrounding my sexuality. I came out um, as gay when I was 21. And so that period was very frightening because I felt like nobody else in terms of people I fancied and the people that, you know, I, I thought were, were hot and the people that, you know, I wanted to be around and the way I dressed and the way I looked, I came from a place where that there wasn't really anyone else like me and we live in a very, very different time now. But back then that, you know, I felt very, very alone. And then on top of that, always being one crutches or in a plaster cast or off school for being in pain or in hospital with an infection. And just that was my story of just not being like everyone else. And I was very lucky and privileged to be surrounded by very very strong family and friends and yet still I felt alone and so I have a lot of compassion and understanding for those that have that experience and and more who really have no support system around me as well I can imagine it's it's a utterly petrifying experience and when I was finally diagnosed it took a dietitian to bring all of my history together and my surgeries and, and my, the issues I had and they actually thought I had something called Marfan syndrome, which is another genetic connective tissue condition. And I was then referred finally to a genetics clinic and given my diagnosis. And I think coming through that, after I was diagnosed, I, I kind of had the mindset of I've got the answers I need now. I, I'm good. And I kind of just left it at that. And then it was a few years after that that I got much more symptomatic and I developed something called postural tachycardia syndrome pops after an infection in the liver. And I was just like, you know what? I don't know anything about this condition. I've never met another person with it. And so I did a lot of Googling and found out that there was a conference in the USA and I took myself to it and it was both completely petrifying and enlightening all at the same time because you have the whole spectrum of the condition in one room, you know, the, the best case, the worst case and everything in between. And to have that in front of me for the first time was very empowering. And I wish that there was something like that back at home. And to cut a very long story short, that's what I did. <laughs> I came back and set up something like that um, in the UK. That uh, it wasn't my long-term plan. I was a photographer. I took a break because photography is very, very hard to do when you're in pain and you have issues standing with low blood pressure and fast heart rate. 
And I thought it was going to be temporary. I was looking to move into intelligence. I actually wanted to be a spy. So I took myself back to university and did a, a degree at the age of 30 in global politics and international relations, not realizing just how much that would help me in my, my role today. But 11 years later, here I am, um, helped establish the UK organization as one of the biggest in the world. And then left there in 2015 to set up the global organization. I'm very, very proud uh, to be the president and CEO of today. It's it's such a beautiful story because it, it sounds like you've you've kind of turned to what what a lot of people would consider to be a pretty negative experience into something that you know other people can learn from and I I think something that struck me a lot when I was kind of researching Ellers Danlos and it was really striking to me how much can happen to a person and how many symptoms you can experience because of this one kind of condition, right? And I understand why that might be difficult to diagnose, especially with the way that our current healthcare system works. Um, Was there any point where you kind of had to had to do research on your own to kind of guide your uh, medical professionals that were working with you to a conclusion around like what might be going on with you? Or was it really kind of that aha moment with the dietitian that you talked about? Yeah, so I think that when the time that I was growing up, there was less social media and forum online presence than there is today. So no, I never really searched online and in other places and did my own research because I guess I just it took it a place value that these doctors who are experienced and know what they're talking about were telling me that nothing was wrong and it was more you know have they missed something I never thought of it as one thing causing all my issues I guess I just thought I'm the unluckiest person in the world because you know you're sitting there with IBS symptoms and you've got a sprained ankle that you just woke up with one morning and your knee dislocated last week. You don't really put those three things together. And the problem is that neither do the health professionals. You go into a GP, primary care, doctor's room, you've got a very short amount of time. You kind of sit there, you go, you've got stomach problems, you've got headache, you've got fatigue, oh, my knee hurts. They're going to go, okay, well, actually that sounds like anxiety because no one has that much wrong that's not connected and people don't take the time you know I always say this and you know I feel like it's going to be on my tombstone but the healthcare systems are set up for the acute and not the chronic and that comes into play with both diagnosis and management and care you know when someone finally does get diagnosed you know the fact that there's not a simple genetic test for the most prevalent type hypermobile type Um, And the fact that it takes experience and a diagnostic criteria to get that diagnosis means that a lot of people miss. I think if it was a simple black and white test, we would see a lot more. Um, But then when people are diagnosed, they're kind of thrown back into the wilderness of their local care services, of which there are zero on the whole. And make no mistake, that's not a third world problem. That's a first world problem. We don't have perfect standards of care in the U.S., in Europe, in the UK, in Canada, nowhere. There's nowhere that's doing it completely right at the moment. There's really good efforts to get there, but it's not like we could say, do it like that country. We're just not there. 
And that's not just for EBS and HSV either. That's across most chronic and rare conditions. There's just this real lack of understanding that when someone gets diagnosed with something long-term, you then have to think about their care long-term, not a six-week course of physical therapy. You need to then think about the psychological support that you need to offer, mental health, physical health, and the bridging between, and how that needs to be in place for the rest of that person's life, not just when there's a flare and not just when they've got diagnosed. And that's the critical piece that's missing. So, you know, it's, it's like... From the very beginning when I got into this, all I saw was opportunity, with big gaps and opportunities to fill them. And every single day I'm driven by A, the teenager I was, but all of the teenagers, adults, children, aging people, everyone in between that I've met along this journey that keep saying the same thing. You know, that we, we're clearly getting something wrong. And there was such an abundance, you know, because I'm a very ambitious person. I wanted a great career. I wanted to be challenged. So when I went into this, I the reason I didn't think it would be long-term is because I, I didn't realize the opportunity that there would be to really make an impact on something. You know, I've got tattooed on my leg, if not me, then who? And I think that's the mindset I've had. Well, okay, we need a new diagnostic criteria, we need management care guidelines, we need registry, we need this, we need that, we need everything. If you don't, you know, take that on board, and by no means, let me tell you, it's not me alone, it takes the village. But if you don't have an organisation steering that and facilitating that work and bringing everyone around the table to do it collaboratively instead of in fragmented silos, you're not going to move ahead. And that's where we were for 20 years no research, no movement, siloed approaches. And the second that that changed and the society was in place and we kept pushing collaboration, 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 the change and the, the amazing things that have happened since that, you know, five short years is astonishing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as, as I, as I kind of said in the, in the beginning, just seeing all of the work that you are doing is so inspiring. And I, I want to, I want to dive more into that first, something that you, something that you mentioned is I think very prevalent. And I hear this all the time too. I work with kind of a majority of clients that have either acute injuries or are dealing with chronic pain. Maybe it's not Ehlers-Danlos, maybe it's not a, um, a syndrome or a disorder, but it's something that is largely being ignored, right? And I think there is kind of the side of getting, getting someone to pay attention but then there's also the side that I know that for me, it gets really exhausting to explain what's going on with me to people that even aren't in the medical industry, you know, to explain, um, like you said, you're very ambitious. I've always been the same way. So to get somebody to believe that I am in pain every single day, I have horrible, debilitating fatigue almost every single day. To get people to understand that and kind of listen to it has been difficult. And in some cases, I've just kind of given up. Is there a way that you have learned to kind of phrase what it is, what Ehlers-Danlos is, or what it is that you experience on a daily basis that you feel like helps to kind of breed empathy with kind of the, the public or medical professionals? So, I mean, it's a tough question. I think there's two answers to that. I think 
day to day, as I've grown older and as I've lived and worked in this space, the really sad thing is, is when people say, how are you? They don't really care what the answer is. And so many people say, you're all right. How are you? And you could give them three paragraph answer or you could say, yeah, I'm good. Thank you. And they switch off with either answer. And so I think the thing we've learned is knowing the crowd, realizing when people are truly asking you, how are you? And when people are saying it as a formality and actually aren't even hearing or listening to the reply, I say I'm fine a hundred times more than I give the reality because people don't care. You know, <laughs> people don't want to hear it. They, they don't want to hear your bad stuff. And, and actually, I don't want to talk about it all the time. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I truly believe in the law of attraction. I don't want to be putting out there all the time my pain, my fatigue, my negativity. And, and that isn't a cure. doesn't mean it's, it goes away. But that's just, you know, I choose to, to, to rather focus on the positive. And, you know, the more you say I'm fine, I'm good, you kind of feel that too. So that's like my personal Lara. That's how I deal with it. Then there's Lara, President CEO. How do I raise awareness and how do I tell the story of EDS and HSD? And that actually comes with a hell of a lot of pressure and responsibility, as it should, because I'm not telling the story of Lara when I've got that hat on. I'm telling the story of 14 different types of EDS within each and every one of those types, a very different journey to get to that diagnosis, many without a diagnosis, and a vast spectrum of different experiences. You know, you could be talking about someone who's living with an unknown type of EDS, living in the middle of Africa, and there's like three geneticists for the whole country. Very different experience to someone living in New York City, diagnosed close to a clinic, close to an expert. One is not worse than the other, and one is not more valid than the other. And then you've also got to represent those types where there's 15 people living in the world with it, and how different that experience is. And then you've got HSD, hypermobility spectrum disorder, which is a, a new, newly penned diagnosis, which comes with its own confusion and frustrations and questions as well. And so when trying to explain what all of those things are, you really have to do justice to all the different experiences. Now, there's been a few occasions where I, Lara, my personal experience, have been asked genuinely, how are you or what, what are you experiencing? Or I've been asked to talk about it in a talk. And I kind of do it in a very factual body scan way. And I say, okay, from my head to my toe, this is what I'm experiencing right now. And I find that that makes people, because they're kind of following with you and they're like, really? Like, I wouldn't know that. And I think so much of a challenge is for so many people with these conditions is it's invisible. You actually can't see all the pain and the tissue tears and the tissue fragility and the, the fatigue. It's invisible a lot of the time. Sometimes it's not. And that's also a challenge. So helping to make that invisible visible is empowering to both you and the listener. I think you've just got to make sure the listener actually wants to hear what you've got to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And kind of a, along those lines, because my diagnosis is so new, I just was kind of officially diagnosed in the last year. And by that time, I think like, like you said, there was, there was a sense of relief that came along with that. There's a kind of freedom and recognizing that you don't have to wake up 
the next day and expect for things to be different. Like, and you know, some people might see that as glass half empty. I took sort of sort of a glass half full. It was like, okay, I'm, this is something I'm going to be dealing with for a long time, if not my whole life. And there was a lot of freedom in that for me. Um, but I'm really only familiar with kind of the, the type of EDS that I was diagnosed with, right? In your experience, are there kind of typical symptoms, typical issues that people have across all types, or does it vary so much that it's, it's, uh, it's not worth kind of putting it in those terms? That's a good question. I mean, it does vary and it varies even within the types, you know? So for example, you think of pain, but not everyone has pain, even with the hypermobility type. You know, there's, there's athletes and Olympians out there whose hypermobility actually helps them do what they do every day, and they don't have pain. Um, there's an argument that they may have pain when they're older, but, you know, we, we don't have enough to really truly say that that's consistently an eventuality that everyone will face. I think when it comes to vascular EDS, for example, you'll see... A consistency in episodes like aneurysms and family history. I think the one thing that probably unites every type to an extent is hypermobility. Mm. And you'll find that in different places in the body, but it's also a hard measure because it's something that changes with age. You could have had an extremely hypermobile child, someone in their 20s, 30s, and as age comes in and pain and deconditioning, the body actually stiffens up. So if they're not diagnosed until their 30s and 40s and they walk into a doctor's office, they're like, you're not hypermobile at all. But they're like, well, if you would have seen me five, 10 years ago, I was known for my hypermobility. So actually a question in the criteria is, were you known for your kind of party tricks and hypermobility as a child? Because it's a hard measure when someone's walking into the room late to diagnosis. So I would say that's probably the one thing that does bring everyone together. That and the utter frustration of how long it takes to get diagnosed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, uh, it's, it's an average of what, 10 to 12 years from the onset of symptoms to a diagnosis. So that's, that's, that's a long time. And um, for for anybody uh, listening as well, you know, hypermobility, I think I've talked about this a little bit before in the, the fitness and manual therapy community, hypermobility is just starting to be recognized as a harmful thing. And I've known that for years, but, you know, up until very recently, it was like, oh, that sounds like a good thing to me. You know, you would hear people say that all the time. Hypermobility in my experience, being in the fitness industry for 12 years is more dangerous than immobility. Um, it is kind of a, a, uh, a perpetual propensity for your joints to extend far beyond a healthy range of motion. And there's a lot more in that as well. So dislocation, subluxations, tearing. Yeah. yeah. All of that in between. And even within the expert world of allied health, of people just caring for people with EVS and HSD, there's still not a unanimous thought of whether people should go to their full hypermobile range because there's been studies that support both. You know, if you if you don't push the hypermobile range, for example, in children, there was a study that said that actually they do better psychologically and then as a consequence physically when they go to their range because otherwise they're constantly not able to do what their body naturally does. 
but then we know that if you keep pushing, then there could be subluxations and dislocations. So I think, and this is where I go back to the gaps, the multiple gaps I've been working, you know, for over a decade, and there are still so many unanswered questions in every single aspect of this condition. If you imagine something being just pretty much neglected for that long, we're only just getting to the point where there's regular funding for research and there's that collaboration of people, of experts coming together. And, you know, a decade from now, we're going to be in a very, very different position. But it, we've had to kind of build a strong foundation and heal all of that neglect to then move forward and answer all these questions and truly help people. You know, when you think about fitness, why is it that people with EDS and HSD take so much longer to build muscle? Is there, a, is there a reason that we can look at in the muscle fibers to understand that, the tissues? Is there an explanation? We don't know, but it's, you see, I go to the gym three times a week for 90 minutes doing weights and I'm skinny as you like. You know, I, I should be a lot more toned than I am. And, it, you know, if you don't have the form exactly right, that you could do a lot of injury and a lot of harm. And you know that as well, you miss one week and you're deconditioned and back to the beginning like that, 100 times faster than someone who doesn't have the condition. You know, why? Why do we see this? We don't know the answers. And that's just looking at physical therapy. There's an abundance of questions that we still have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that we see some some developments. And I think with, with a lot of the work that you are doing, I, I just, I can't see that not happening. You know, I think with, when we have people advocating for the cause and really speaking up about uh, what it is that's going on, I think that makes it so much more likely that we're going to see strides in the right direction. And Mm -hmm. on an individual level, since a lot of the, a lot of my audience is the chronic pain, maybe hypermobile, maybe injured population. I'm sure some people are listening to this and saying, I want to find out if this is something that I'm dealing with. I have the hypermobility. I have the fatigue. Maybe I just, I want to figure out where to go from here. What would you recommend they do as far as a path to maybe getting more answers for themselves? So the first step I would say is go onto our website. Our URL is www.ehlers-danlos.com. And there's a ton of information, webinars, resources, links that give you more information. And then on there, if you have a look, there's a diagnostic checklist for hypermobile EDS, which is the most prevalent one without a genetic test. Take that to your primary care doctor. And, you know, the key is whenever you're putting something under a doctor's face, do it in a way where it's not like I've got this diagnosed me with it. It's like, you know, I, this has been brought to my attention. It kind of feels, I feel like it's explaining a lot of what I'm feeling. Can, I'd love your opinion. And please could we maybe have a look at this checklist together and you'll find a lot better response from the doctor doing that. And then if they don't feel like they can work through the checklist, although they should be able to, because it's not anything that an expert needs to do, they can then, once they've done that, then refer out to either a geneticist, rheumatologist, a gastroenterologist, if that's your main issue, you know, whatever it may be to then get a little bit more specialist help. Um, but, there, you know, also remember there is no such thing as an EDS expert. All it is is someone from a discipline taking the time to educate themselves, listen and care for us. And that's really all it takes. And we see examples of people like that 
all day long. There is a health professionals directory on our website. And if you go on that, it gives every area in the world and a list of EDS and HSD friendly doctors. It's not something we can personally say we endorse each one because each provider uploads their own information on there. But the very fact that they do that is, you know, we're grateful for that because it's basically saying I'm here and I'm willing to listen and care for you. So um, that's a really good resource as well as a place to start to see who you could go to for that diagnosis and care. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even to have, you know, medical professionals who know what EDS is, I think is, it, it says a lot. And especially if they're offering themselves as resources there. And Laura, I, I feel like I could, we're just kind of scratching the surface, but I know we've, we've taken up a good amount of time. Is there anything else, you know, any other initiatives, any other, um, anything else that you might want to kind of promote or point people to that are listening? Um, yeah, I mean, there's so much. So I would really just say kind of follow us on, on our social media. Most things, if you type in the Ellisdown Society to most platforms and YouTube and our website and the same with me, lara.bloom, L-A-R-A.bloom, I'll come up on most platforms and then you can get regular updates of the work we're doing. If there are any zebras out there, um, those with EDS and HSD, I would also encourage you to join our EDS and HSD global registry. You can do that for free and the information is on our website. Um, you know, anyone that wants to support our mission and the work we're doing, we're always very, very grateful for any support that we can do. We have a hell of a lot of work to do. Uh, a big community to serve and lots of uh, questions that need answers. Love that. And if you are listening, we will link up everything that Laura just talked about in the show notes. So you don't have to, if you're driving, you don't have to pull over and grab a notepad. We will link all of that up for you. Now, before we kind of conclude the episode, I have four kind of main questions that I ask every guest. And uh, the, the first one is, what is the biggest lie or common misconception that you hear about maybe chronic pain or invisible illnesses? Um, I would say the, the biggest misconception about EDS and HSD specifically is, oh, you're just a bit bendy. Mm. And I think that that couldn't be more wrong. You know, EDS and HSD is such a multi-systemic condition uh, with so much more and often actually the hypermobility is the thing that causes people the least issues so I think really understanding that and how broad it is I think in terms of chronic and long kind of long-term conditions I think the biggest lie and understanding is that you know people feel like if they can't see it it's not real and I really understanding how many things are invisible how Many people are living with conditions that you know nothing about. And I think be kind always is the rule of thumb that would help everyone living with these kinds of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's, it's very tough. And I hear this with my chronic pain and EDS clients a lot. It's people responding with things that diminish their experience, you know, saying things like, oh, so you're flexible. <laughs> so that's, that's what the problem is. And yeah. So if, if you are listening, that is a huge thing to take away. Just never say something that diminishes someone else's experience like that. Absolutely. Um, the, the next thing I wanted to ask is what is the best advice you ever received about your health or wellness? 
to move every day. Um, I don't know if, if, if people are aware if there will be a link, but in 2011, I became the first known person to complete the London Marathon, and I walked it um, in... in uh, and I fractured my foot halfway through, and I definitely wouldn't recommend anyone with EDS to walk a marathon. But what it taught me is how essential movement is, and all of the, the lessons I learned through the training process of that have completely changed my life. And although on paper I've got more wrong with me than I did then, actually my quality of life is so much better, and I move regularly, but I think the trick is to find a movement, and I say movement intentionally rather than exercise, because it can be, you know, as small as, you know, from your bed or from your wheelchair doing leg raises, you know, any anything at all that just encourages that movement, going for a walk, walk around the house, using the stairs one day instead of the elevator, uh, or, you know, as, in, as, as much as going to the gym regularly, swimming, anything, but it has to make you smile because you have to do that for the rest of your life every day. Definitely, definitely. Um, it, you know, it reminds me of a, a couple of the principles that I use with my clients. And the first one is to do to do things that make you feel like you're successful in those things. Because if you are attempting things that make you feel like you're failing at movement or fitness or exercise every day, um, that's it's not good for the brain. It's not good for the body. So figure out what your personal movement menu is and pick from that, right? What makes me feel successful in this? What can I do? And it really helps to shift your perspective as well. Take it off of the things that we can't do. Yeah. Love it. Uh, the third question is, um, what is something that you used to preach or maybe a piece of knowledge that you used to have that has changed or that you no longer advocate for? I don't know if there's anything that that I've changed as such. I just think that I am so grateful for having the opportunity to constantly learn and learn from the people that I meet along the way and realise that you're never getting everything right all the time and also dealing with the pressure that is real and is there when you're working in a career that also so personally interlinked with your experience um, that you're dealing with and being very mindful of language. I never forget doing a talk and I said wheelchair and bed bound. Didn't think anything of it because, you know, it was, it was meant with absolutely no disrespect or offence and I, you know, was talking about it as a patient that has been both. Um, as someone living with the condition that's been both. And someone fed back to me afterwards, and there's kind of two different types of people in the community and when they give feedback. There's a kind of the trolling that they just do it to call you out and it's very aggressive. And there's people that take the time to send you a personal message and say, you know, thank you for all you're doing. I just wanted to feedback that I didn't really appreciate you saying bed bound and wheelchair bound. Actually, those having a wheelchair has given me so much freedom and the ability to move. And it really was like the power of your words. And when you have a platform, you have to be very mindful of that. And so I'm learning it every day. You know, I'm just a person living with a condition, trying to do good things to make things better for those living with it. And I think that there 
is a lot of judgment and a lot of pressure out there. And I see how we've evolved into a world on social media with so much abuse and people attacking each other in, in your own kind of community. And it's really sad. Um, and so I, I think I've, I've definitely learned along the way to, to, to be a lot more conscious and intentional with the things that I share in my private life as well and holding back on some things that I do want to keep private because you can't give everyone your everything and have it all out for judgment. So it's just learning each day how you balance the two things and how to be very mindful of your language and the position that you hold. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I like to say in the in the health and wellness community, if you're not replacing a pretty good percentage of your knowledge every couple of years, you're probably not growing fast enough, which with just the way that things go. And I think, you know, kind of a, an aside to that is the language piece that you're talking about. Um, kind of learning to speak to different audiences, I think is, is huge and just developing your language over time based on that feedback. That's great. The last, uh, last question I have for you is, what is your favorite quote and why? Oh, um, I think the one that I live by every day through the work that I do is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, then go together. And that is so true uh, with, with everything. And I really live by that in the world that I do every day. Really, really powerful Thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. There's so much more that I want to ask you. And uh, I think we just scratched the surface. So if anyone else has questions, definitely click on the links, follow Lara on social media and make sure that you just kind of get involved with the cause and in any way that you can. And um, if you got value from this episode today, like, subscribe, review, all of that happy stuff. And thank you so much for coming on, Lara. You are a fantastic guest. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. All right. Have a pain-free day, everybody. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. I'd really appreciate it if you could like, subscribe, and leave a review on the podcast so that more people can hear us in the future. Have a pain-free day.